JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline. He is the one that didn't graduate today from college. Uh, Kevin Bowen. Uh, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I'm proud of the fella. I am. I'm happy for him. Kev, are you there? Hello, Kevin. Kevin Bowen, come in. Hey, sorry. Sorry, you got me? Yeah, I got you. What are you doing? Sorry about that. I, I literally don't know what happened there. I thought uh, I was I was connected to you. Uh, last I heard, you said that I wasn't the one that graduated today, and then I lost you. So apologize. Ah, okay. So tell me this. Are you, like me, incredibly proud and happy for Jake Query that he got that done? I'll be honest with you. There's no way I could have done it. Like, if I find out. And that's why I probably don't want to know if I found out that, you know, you really didn't graduate. We just wanted to hustle your ass out of Terre Haute. Um, if I found that out, I don't think that I would have the wherewithal, the motivation to go back. So I'm proud of him for that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I, it sounds weird, like, just going outwardly and feeding Jake's ego because that doesn't really need to happen. But I, I told him several times on air. I told him this morning when he called in driving up 31 that I thought it was a pretty darn cool thing that he did easily could have thrown in the towel. He put in some long hours. Like it was kind of wild to Mark and I, when he would come in studio and we just talk about, Hey, what'd you do yesterday? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, Oh yeah, I was at the whatever, the Glendale library for three hours with my tutor. And I'm just like, gosh, that sounds awful. And, and again, this comes from someone that, you know, I the son of two teachers and been fortunate to teach at IU the last four years uh and i just doing schoolwork sounds absolutely miserable and then you take out the motivation of like you know when you're whatever 19 20 21 you're thinking oh i got to do this to get a job and have success in the professional field or whatever keep my parents happy uh the fact that none of that motivation is there for them i think just kind of adds to it so yeah i was i was genuinely genuinely happy for him love that his family got to go up there for it and I hope that the uh, hip hugger right now celebrating. Uh, is it still open? Well, if there's ever a day for it to get some Wednesday action, you would think graduation. From I, for some reason, I thought the hip hugger was closed. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid you might be right. You yeah. know, I think the old 31 maneuvering around Kokomo uh, potentially ended several businesses, and that establishment being one of them. Uh, but I don't know. In my mind, I would like for still be open well i mean he's a a friend of your show and he's a friend of this show too uh noted bass fisherman extraordinaire calvin fitch i believe has told me before that the hip hub hugger is no longer open 
I believe. So, and if I'm wrong, we'll make sure we make up for that. Yeah, that, that's an error that we want to make sure that we hopefully correct if that is true. But, yes, Calvin was tweeting at us this morning about a brewery brewery for Jake to stop at. Um, so, yeah, I, I love the picture. Um, I thought I was I thought it was really, really cool that he yeah. decided to do that over multiple semesters. And uh, I hope he feels a, uh, you know, some sort of accomplishment, proud moment, et cetera. Yeah, see, that's what I thought. In 93, I think they just came together, uh, the powers that be at Indiana State, and said, all right, we need to get this dude back to Greene County stat. Just give him this piece of paper and tell him to get out of here. I think that's how that went down. You know, I'm going to imagine there's probably a decent-sized list of Indiana State Sycamores on that list each year. So for you to be near the top of that list is probably saying something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was proud of it. I mean, listen, it was, it was a university with ashtrays back then. It was pretty cool. So And now they're about ready to host a regional, right, for baseball? Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that with uh, Mitch Hannes coming up at 530. By the way, Kev, Derek says he can confirm the hip hugger is open for business. It is open. <laughs> There you go. Boy, you imagine what the happy hour special looks like today. So, here we go. <laughs> the old buffet. You think you're, are you eating at the buffet? They got a buffet at the hip hugger? Well, yeah, I don't, you know, eating at the hip hugger, you could probably go a lot of different ways there. But, um, yeah, we asked Jake if there was anything breakfast related at the uh, at, at the hip hugger. But, you know, maybe now. Again, a little early dinner there. Get back, you know. Yeah. You're, you're going to beat rush hour. You don't want to deal with that. Uh, I know Kokomo's got, you know. 31 that's a little bit less traffic centric nowadays but stop there and then make sure you're back in time for for the show tomorrow yeah sounds good you've never been to the uh, strip club buffet at noon the lunch buffet well yeah i i cannot say i have i mean how many uh, years did you spend in bloomington you never once went to the the lunch buffet at night moves but now uh, someone did tell me night moves was closed is that true i would imagine probably something's closed yeah. i i mean yeah I'm a little off my game today with remembering stuff because I had a flat tire and that screwed up my entire day. I don't know about you. I'm very routine-oriented, and if one thing happens, I'd be a bad defensive back, a bad corner. If one thing happens, then I think about it for, like, the rest of the day, so that's problematic. So I've, I've been out of sorts. So I, I would assume yeah. that it's closed. Something There is a strip club that is closed. I can tell you that. One has closed somewhere. I do have to tell you this flat tire story. We went to Cincinnati about a month ago on a Rosie Spring break, and we're driving back, pouring down rain, and we are just south of the Batesville exit, right about a mile, and uh, all of a sudden, big pop. I think it's something weather-related. Sure enough, tires fried in uh. about 15 seconds. So I pull over. You know, it's that initial kind of shock of, like, gosh, this just sucks. So, yeah. um all of a sudden, Maddie looks up at the exit sign and sees – I forget what the other city associated with Milan on the exit is at that part of 74. And she goes, oh, man, we're in Milan. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, lived in this state for 90% yes. of her life, and she's going Milan. It, it, it provided a bit of brevity in a moment where, you know, you just want to – us like none other but yeah that's where our flat occurred uh just south of the milan exit well it's funny and and this goes back to when i did weekend sunrise at 13 and she was really good at what she did perella lewis um and, and really i think sean ash got hit over the head with this one time too when you have to go to southern indiana 
for thunderstorm updates and things, that can trip you up. And Milan turned into Milan from Perella Lewis once. And I'm almost certain, and he may say that this is untrue, but I do believe that once upon a time, Sean Ash of Channel 13, when describing a thunderstorm over Olytic, Indiana, called it Oolytic. I'm almost certain. <laughs> <laughs> that might be worse than the day that didn't you have like a pants issue on channel 13 yeah my pants were unzipped yeah my pants yeah. yeah i saw i saw chris kirster at the ron collie event and i said is there any tape of me i did two things one i went out there with my pants unzipped and they had that big h mod i'm standing in front of it and my pants were unzipped the entire time and the other i, I don't know why i i know i was kind of hung over a little bit and i hyperventilated like on the air, like I was doing highlights. And they went to highlights, and I kind of hyperventilated a little bit. I don't know if you can do that a little bit, but I I did, and I kind of wondered if it was still on tape somewhere over there. I'd like to watch it, boy, so I, I can laugh. Loved, I would love to see video of that. I almost feel like you know, to do that weather job here locally, you've got to like do a test all ninety county, all ninety some counties, every you know city in the state of Indiana, because. Boy, you uh, any sort of warning that pops up in yeah. a random county, I would be struggling. Well, and I think Perella struggled with, you know, we know what uh, Jasper in that surrounding area is Dubois County, and she pronounced it Dubois, Dubois County. Uh, well, and it just it wasn't her fault. Just I mean, when you get that far south, you just got to remember where you are. You're in southern Indiana, so that's yeah. that's how it's it's going to be. It's not going to be Milan. It's going to be Milan. So, well, yeah, Dubois. Sort of French experience. I don't know if Maddie thought Mulan. I don't know if she thought Disney. Uh, she was thinking on <laughs> on that route, but it, it did provide a much needed laugh at that moment. Sean Ash with Oo Lytic. That is so good. Oo Lytic, right there. Oh, that's so good. It's uh, Kevin Bowen Morning Show. Kevin Inquiry on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. We kind of thought that it was coming. And it did. The Colts are going back to Europe. And it's interesting because I was talking to some folks this morning. And as you guys mentioned, this stadium in Frankfurt holds less than 50000 for football. So these tickets sound like that they're going to be at a premium. Maybe with around the Patriots and the Colts getting an allotment of around six hundred. Have you heard that? Yeah, I remember back in 2016, I believe the Colts got a thousand to use and a thousand to sell, and that was in Wembley. Which I mean, you were there, John. What's mm-hmm. Wembley? Eighty-five thousand. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I mean, it's it's bigger than every NFL stadium, pretty much. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you're you're not cutting it in half, but a huge chunk less. And I think what you have to remember about Frankfurt versus London, this will be the second ever NFL game at Frankfurt. The first one will be the week prior. So if you are in that part of Germany or that part of Europe, which, you know, again, I've done more Germany geography today than I thought I would. uh, I mean, that's four and a half hours from Munich. So even if, you know, you were whatever, even if you went to the Bucks seahawks game last year, Munich, you know, there's a good chance there's a large part of Germany, Austria, you know, whatever, middle Europe, however you want to call it, that, has not seen an NFL game. Um, so I would think these would be in high demand, not necessarily because it's Colts Patriots. Although I will say this, I, you know, I just kind of said it off the cuff earlier today. I'm like, I, I would assume there's a good amount of Patriots fans in Europe. Um, you know, I, I 
I've talked to some Colts fans that, that that live in Europe, and they've mentioned how you know the NFL draft in 2012 and Andrew Luck going one overall that all of a sudden sparked interest in them being a Colts fan. Well, just given the fact that Patriots have been so good over the last two decades, um, I would consider them to be probably one of the bigger fan bases over there. And then someone reached out to me who lives in Germany. He's like, yes, there are a lot of Patriot fans over here. So uh, around 600, fa- uh, 600 tickets, that, uh, that would be my guess. I know the Colts will have some to sell um, you know, to, be, to be announced and to be determined, I guess, the amount and, and at a later date. If I remember correctly, it was around 150 bucks. Uh, four tickets uh, for a ticket back at Wembley, of course, depending on where you were sitting. So, yes, I, I would think with 48,000, uh, they're going to be in very high demand, especially because it's only the second game ever in uh, in Frankfurt. Hey, did you ever go to lunch at this uh, Green District salad place down here? Oh, yeah, Jake Jake worships yeah. it. Yeah, well, evidently uh, it's closing. Really? Yeah, that's what it says. Lenquist just said Green District Salad Restaurant closes Monument Circle location. Well, it, it's very expensive. I will say that. I think we got a coupon as like being employees that are close to there. Boy, Jake's gonna be devastated by that news. Boy, you talk about a kick in the you know what? That was only in there for like five seconds, wasn't it? Yeah, they probably didn't yeah. have time to run out of ranch. <laughs> well, it's it's some very exclusive ranch in there. Wow, that's uh, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, it's expensive, but I just figured. I, I always feel like it's decently crowded whenever I walk by there. Yeah, that's what uh, Lindquist says. Green District Salad Restaurant closes the Monument Circle location. So there, there you go, man. I'm telling you, every, somebody, somebody better step up and start trying to do something about it because you get all these different areas, you know, in and around downtown, no longer centralized downtown, that are are getting up and getting out of here right now. So that's continues to be problematic, and you can see it. So. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Staying power uh, for businesses in that area um, seem to be lacking, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, I always take a lot of pride in downtown in general, too. And I'm just talking about the centralized part. I mean, you get down by the Alexander, it looks fantastic. Fletcher, Fountain Square, you know, Mass Ave, all that looks great. Um, and it's going to look great, I'm assuming, once they get stuff done down at Diamond Chain Company with the Indy 11. It just seems like that you get all these different pockets that are going to start doing well. And the forgotten location is where my, my big ass is sitting right now. So, Yeah, I walked to coaches today for, for, for lunch, met, met somebody over there. And it just seems like, you know, especially when you think about the All-Star game coming up in February. I mean, centrally located from you know whatever a, a block or two radius especially as you get west and north of banker's life um yeah businesses especially in the food um standpoint really struggling to uh sustain it it is uh it's tough so green district apparently uh is out give me your thoughts on that frankfurt game by the way is this something where we went both to london last time and it was kicking and screaming for me but as an end result i had a great time and i'm glad that i went is this one that you would want to attend how hot of a ticket do you think this is going to be yeah i would absolutely love to go um i can't say germany has been like high high on the bucket list but i thought the experience was just was awesome and i know you and i feel very much the same way about it um the fan aspect to it you know obviously london speaks for itself um just seeing how their fans embrace something that's new. I mean, obviously the NFL is king here in the in the, in the U.S. from a sports standpoint, but there's just a, a, a newness to it over there and almost like a
like the curiosity from their fans, I absolutely loved. And again, I think Frankfurt will be will kind of match what we felt in London, and maybe even more because Bernard Ryman was talking to us today, and he's from Austria, and he mentioned how you know the first time he went to an NFL game was in London, and there's got to think a lot of people that in that part of again Germany, Austria, or just that part of Europe that have never been to an NFL game, so. Considering that, considering 48,000, obviously the Patriots are a brand. I mean, I think the Colts have a, have a decent brand as well. Um, I would think it's going to be a really, really hot ticket. So, fingers crossed. Uh, I, I would absolutely love to go. Um, I think it's going to be great. And I'm thrilled that the Colts are going over there. And it'll be interesting to see kind of where the bye week falls around that and everything. But I was actually talking to a family friend that plays um, – you actually probably, probably remember the name. You remember Reese Horn had a great career at University of Indianapolis? I do. Yeah, very well. Yeah. So bounced around, um, played over in Europe, played in the XFL, you know, has, has had several stints on, you know, training camps and mini camps across the NFL. He plays for Frankfurt. It's no longer the World League, but whatever that, that league turned into, he plays over there. So I was texting him earlier today about it. He's like, these people are obsessed with American football. I mean, they just absolutely love it. It's not the biggest city in the world. I think it's around a million, maybe a little bit less. But um, I, I think just the absolute craze that they will have over there for this event and kind of a two-week stretch of the Dolphins Chiefs and then Colts Patriots, uh, I think it's going to be awesome. So I would love to experience it. Yeah, it's interesting. And Kevin Bowen joins us. That I, I, It's kind of split down the middle. Like some will suggest that Frankfurt is not good and you don't want to go there and ask why they're going there. Then others say, hey, it is a great city, a great part of Europe, and that's going to be a must attend. It's kind of split down the middle for me. How about you guys? Yeah, I mean, we had a guy calling today who spent seven years in Frankfurt, and you would have thought he spent, you know, seven years in insert wherever you think the worst city in the world is. Um, and it, it sounded to me a little bit more weather based. Uh, than anything. It does sound like, honestly, the Colts aren't playing in Foxborough uh, this year, but it sounds like it could be pretty Foxborough-like from a you know temperature and precipitation standpoint in November. At least that's usually what it's like. Uh, Ryman mentioned it was a very old city. So, I mean, I think from an industrial standpoint, you are going to get that. I didn't realize this. Uh, we had a listener, I think it was Neil, tweeted at me this morning that Frankfurt is the European Financial Center. And so it's a big, like, banking city. Um, so I think that is part of maybe the NFL's thinking with this is, yes, it's not the size of the stadium of Wembley or maybe even a Munich, but from a corporate standpoint, obviously it's a part of Europe that they would like to tap into. So I have heard mixed reactions from that. Again, I, I talked to Reese earlier. He had a lot of positive things to say about living in the city and that it kind of has a bit of an indie kind of affordability feel to it, but a little bit of a Chicago in terms of variety uh, within the city as well. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Again, it, it, it's not like Germany or Frankfurt in general was very high on my bucket list, but you toss around the events and the excitement that I thought was there in 2016 in London, I think it'll be that, if not more. And, and honestly, with this Colts season, yes, you're going to have the Anthony Richardson element to it, but – I mean, in all likelihood, this team is not going to be playing super competitive games late in the year. So to kind of have this to look forward to, uh, even if, if fans are not able to make it, you know, waking up and having a 930 game on Sunday and you're the only game in town, hell, it might be the only standalone game the Colts have all year, depending on how the schedule unveils itself tomorrow night. You know, it's weird about this, though, Kev. If you go back uh, 15 or so years and think about, 
You know, the Colts and the Patriots having a game in Europe, you would have never thought that. That's what's kind of weird. Like, you know, you, you know, your team here versus Jacksonville, okay, but the Colts and Patriots just sounds really odd to say playing overseas. And, and the best part about it is it does not take away a home date here in Indy, but it does in Foxborough. Yeah, it, I was certainly thinking about that today, how it has kind of evolved from this annual primetime matchup to now this. And I was really thinking about this, John. If you think about the two most recent Colts-Patriots matchups, I mean, arguably the biggest high this organization has had in the last two years came on that Saturday night in mid-December, two years ago, when the Colts beat the Patriots at home. Jonathan Taylor breaking off that whatever it was, 60-yard-some touchdown run to put the game on ice. It's probably one of the loudest I've ever heard Lucas Oil, certainly non-playoff game, one of the loudest I've ever heard Lucas Oil. And at that point, you think, boom, you're making the playoffs with Carson Wentz. Uh, even though that was a game that went, you were literally trying to kind of cover for him throughout that game. And then you think back to last year in Foxborough where, you know, probably the highlight of the game, or at least the most interesting aspect of the game looking back on it, was a Jim Irsay phone call to Jeff Saturday out of the owner's box, out of the visiting owner's box. Uh, so literally probably the biggest high that this team has had over the last couple of years and, and arguably the biggest low, although there were some moments within that Jeff Saturday era that would uh, – uh, give a lot of competition to that. So it is very interesting how Colts and Patriots have evolved. But, yeah, with both these teams finishing third last year in their respective divisions, they match up, and now it's going to be on a 9.30 a.m. in Frankfurt, Germany. Yeah, hope we're over there. I had a great time in London. I loved it, every second of it. Well, I mean, I, I kind of let my mind go to, okay, with the time difference, it would make a whole lot of sense. I remember sitting with you at the uh, Admiralty yep. when I, I, all of a sudden, I think they just unplugged you. They did, late. yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty – it was you, me, and Matt Taylor, yep. uh, if I remember correctly. I was doing um, Colts Happy Hour. I was halfway through Colts Happy Hour, and it was closing time at the Admiralty, and they take no prisoners when they close. They just shut the power off. They pull the grid. It's over. yeah we don't care about that guy from green county there i'm in mid-sentence and oh there it is over (laughs) yeah uh um so yeah i would love i mean you know obviously would 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 love for us to go as the entire station you know bullseye whoever wherever get me over there i I think it'd be fun i think it'd be really i I know jake experiences a lot or maybe we should we have to experience it from jake but red eye is home after that game and you know, who knows what that show could be like. I got back on morning. the air. I got back on the air the next day. I we we got on the bus to get to Getwick Airport in London. We got on and boarded that bus during the Sunday night game. I got back at two forty five in the afternoon on a direct flight. I was on the air here by three thirty. Monday. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I think that would make for great radio. And I will be interested to see. You know, when the schedule comes out, you think back to 2016, the Colts didn't want to have their bye week that early. So they came back and they played that that yeah. very next week against the Bears. They actually beat Chicago. Uh, but that would have been a week five bye. You know, this game is in week 10, so that would mean a week 11 bye. That seems to be a little bit better suited for them. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I think this will be Shane Steichen's kind of first big experience overseas. I don't think Philadelphia – Went over there the last couple of years. I asked Gus Bradley today because it was coordinator day over there. Like, you know, what what did you prefer? Because obviously as the head coach of the Jags, Gus Bradley went overseas quite a lot. 
And he said he was a Thursday departure guy, which is what the Colts did back in 2016. Right. You have a normal week. You practice Wednesday. You practice Thursday. Boom, you fly out Thursday night. You red-eye Thursday night. And then you land and just fight the jet lag that entire Friday. Gus said that's what he kind of preferred. I think most NFL teams have done that. I know a few have opted to go out literally after their game ends the previous week on on Sunday and just kind of get adjusted early in the week and go from there. So that'll be just another logistical item and, and something to think about, especially when the schedule comes out tomorrow. Yeah, I was trying to think of the story um, of uh... – uh, what's his name in the secondary that remember the story that he went to oh, yeah. Paris? Yeah. Antonio Cromartie. Yeah. yeah. I think he had a, sh- I think he had a shopping bag for every kid. Um, <laughs> when, when he returned there. Yeah. That was I a, that was a rumor that he went and got in trouble and didn't, did he play maybe a snap and that was about it in that game? Boy, I, I thought he played and played like he had been shopping, um, <laughs> For the previous 24 hours. I think I've told you this before. We, we were flying back, and you have to go through uh, you know, customs. Yeah. No matter, you know, if, if the Pacers are leaving Toronto, they have to go through customs. Um, so whatever the a- airport was, I'm trying to think. It starts with an H. Um, we are leaving, and, you know, again, going through customs. I, I mean, you know, English, whatever, British people that are working there. Heathrow, yeah, by the way. Friends. Heathrow. You left from Heathrow. Heathrow. I went to Getwick, yeah. Heathrow, yes. That's what it was. And so they, I mean, the custom seaports are very friendly. And I mean, they're, you know, trying, they're working, I guess, on a little bit of hospitality and tourism, et cetera. They're asking us, hey, how was the trip? Blah, blah, blah. And right behind Cromartie in line is Chuck Pagano. And like at that point, we were kind of in the, is Chuck about to get fired point of his tenure? I mean, it was one of those like embarrassing loss to Jacksonville in London. The, the start of that season, for some reason, sticks out as kind of a poor start. Uh, I guess Chuck ended up making it one more year. Obviously, Grigson was fired after that season. And this customs lady is like, oh, hello, you know, Charles reading off his actual idea. <laughs> what brought you over here to London? How did you enjoy your trip over here? And I'm like, if only she knew what this man was probably thinking inside after great. losing to Jacksonville. Yeah. And I think that was the day that was the day that your guy dropped, dropped a pretty big ball late in that game, if I remember correctly, in, uh, in Dwayne Allen. Yeah, we never talked again after my that show on Monday because I yeah, there wasn't a lot good to say about it, and uh, that's that was we didn't talk again after that. Yeah, yeah. He, and he stopped by here all that. the time, all the time. Oh yeah, so yeah, He's always in there with you. It was weird. By the way, Night Moves in Bloomington is still operating 7 p.m. until 3 a.m. Night Moves is the only strip club in Bloomington. Many have opened and closed, but Night Moves has stayed keeping the attention of businessmen, young IU students, townies, and fun couples. Diverse and unique to the industry, Night Moves is iconic to Bloomington. That is their evidently mission statement right there. Night Moves, Kevin Bowen is still open. You know, part of me thought as you started to go there, I'm thinking, is this an ad read? Because this sounds like the greatest ad read that JMV has done. That's their, that's their mission statement right there. I get it. Yeah, it's the attention of businessmen, young IU students, townies, and fun couples. Yeah. 
I love that. I absolutely love that you just painted a beautiful picture. And beautiful. honestly, Night Moves needs to send you some endorsement. They yeah. should. They should. All right. Tomorrow morning, 7 until 10 a.m., Jake is back as a college graduate with Kevin Bowen. And that's Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. Tomorrow morning here on The Fan. It's Kevin Bowen on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Thanks, Kev. Yep. Talk to you, John. Mandy Moore on a- Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Motive Group Hotline from Peaks.com. He is a friend of the show, and I know he's keeping track, firm track, of what's going on in and out of every transfer portal in major college basketball. He is uh, Jeff Rabjohns with us. Hello, Jeff. Jim V, how are we doing today? So Hunter Dickinson says today that basically insinuates that it was about NIL money from Michigan to Kansas, and that should come at zero surprise to anybody, correct? Because it is going to be, if not 100% of the time, 90-plus percent of the time, that this is what this is going to be about. Is that a good enough number? Is that too high, too low? What do you think? That might be a little bit high, um, but it's absolutely a a major factor. And good for Hunter for being honest. I mean, why in the world should these kids have to, like, you know, lie or pretend like money doesn't matter. I mean, if, if a guy's out there making $60,000 a year and somebody says, hey, come over to my company, I'll pay you 400 is the guy going to take the job? Yeah. Why? Because of the money. It's okay. You know, I, in my opinion, it's okay to just say it. If somebody's going to give you a much bigger NIL deal than where you're at, and that's the reason you're transferring, I see nothing wrong, John, with just being honest and saying, I got paid more. How's, I mean, yeah. When most people change jobs outside of maybe location or a very specific family reason, most of the time people change jobs because of money. It's okay. Yeah, and listen, there are still old school folks, Jeff, and you know this too, that look at the college game in a much different way uh, and not have moved along to where we are right now. Some kicking and screaming, others have not gone there yet. Will, Will something like that help? move those people further away. Now, ultimately, you either like the college basketball product, no matter what, you either leave or you stay. You don't really have much of a choice here, but does a comment like that with those that are trying to get used to it and maybe aren't yet, does it kind of push them further away? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Because, you know, last year when uh, last off season. Uh, for college football, you know, there was the transfer portal. There were NIL deals, and there were all these people, all this noise on social media. I'll never watch college football again. It's become professional. What happened? College football had great ratings, great ratings. So I really don't know if if people in of any significant number are going to be pushed away from college basketball. I know some don't like it. I understand that. That's a, that's a, it's a very reasonable position to say that if if you say you don't like the money, being discussed openly. Okay, that's very understandable to say. What I would say to that is money's always been a part of it. The only thing that really has happened, two things have happened. One, the money has gone from under the table to being legal and being on the table. And two, 
the kind of the curtains being pulled back here. People are seeing that this stuff happens. So those are really the only two things that happen. Money is, I mean, you can go back to Sam Gilbert and UCLA. You can go back to, you know, Kansas getting in trouble for openly buying players in the 40s. You know, I mean, this stuff's been going on for nearly 100 years. It's just now far more visible, and it's being discussed openly. So some people don't like it, and that's an understandable position to take. So Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com is with us. We're going to move on in just a second to the, the change of pace some of these players have had, where they're going, uh, where they're going to, where they're going to, whether it's IU or someplace else. But I'm curious, how sustainable is the monetary portion of NIL long-term right now in your mind? I think the general concept of being able to, you know, businesses, whether it be, you know, people, you know, businesses just, you know, paying somebody directly to advertise for their, their business, uh, whether it be the collectives, which are growing in number, um, you know, the Hoosier hysterics obviously has been a big collective for Indiana. You know, they had uh, Jalen Hutchifino as a Hoosier Sterics ambassador. Same thing with Malik Renault. And, you know, IU also has Hoosiers for Good, which just announced, I think it was 24, 20 some uh, athletes who they signed to do charity work. You have, you know, Hoosiers Connect. So I think the general idea of their boosters, um, businesses, fans assembling, uh, like with the collectives, I think that's sustainable. I don't know if the top-end numbers that you hear are sustainable. Um, you know, when uh, you know Ryan Day comes out and says it's going to cost us $13 million at Ohio State annually for a football roster, even though that's a big fan base, are they going to be able to come up with $13 million every year? You can do it once when it's brand new. It's kind of like buying a, buying a new car. Okay, well, it's going to cost 45000 for the car that I want. Okay, great. We're not, most people don't buy a new car every year. So I don't know if the top-end dollars are, are sustainable. We'll see on that. But the idea that players are getting paid, yeah, I think that's here to stay. I really do. Now, the model may change. You know, you've still got some court cases out there. You know, and some people say, well, why did the NCAA allow this? Well, they lost court cases, okay? And, and when, when the court rules, your opinion no longer matters. And NCAA rules do not uh, trump uh, court decisions. So when the court speaks and says these players do deserve to get paid, you can no longer ban them from the marketplace, boom, then payment is here to stay. So I, I do think it's here to stay. I really do. I think my question is, will the top-end dollars change here right. over the next five to ten years? Uh, yeah, I think that's a good question to ask there, too. I would agree with that. The reason why I know about this, and I don't know about others and how other you know universities deal with this i just know it from being in and around bloomington that you know the varsity club has always been there as a a fundraiser and how does that go with nil um what what, what are the differences is it the same i I just i was kind of curious about that how they go alongside one another sure sure i think that that's one of the things that was a big question when uh some of those court rulings were rendered Okay, well, do boosters then uh, contribute to their university directly? It's talking IU, you're talking varsity club, um, or do they sort of split it? Maybe okay, instead of ten grand a year to varsity, it's five grand a year to varsity, five grand toward toward an NIL to help with you know roster management and and player procurement. And yes, I know it's not supposed to be offered as an inducement, but you can tell recruits, hey. If you're IU, you can say, here's what Trace Jackson Davis got. Here's what Jalen Hitchifino got. You're not supposed to make a direct promise, but you can speak to facts. What did our players get? Who, who, whatever university you are. 
Um, so I think one of the things is universities have realized they need a robust NIL program or they will struggle in recruiting because it will be used against them. And so I think some people, some schools are realizing that um, it's okay if our boosters, uh, you know, kind of take some of their varsity club money and, and give it to NIL. Certainly entities like the varsity club still need to do well for the universities, but if you don't have good players, you're not going to win games. And if you're not winning, I don't care how much money you've got for facilities, for, you know, new lights, new scoreboards, whatever. You know, you need good players to win games. And the number one thing most fans want for their college team to do is what? Win. So I think most universities have realized, yeah, our boosters, our businesses, they need to be participants in in NIL or our chances of winning start to dwindle very significantly and very quickly. So, it, so will the NIL just will it ultimately do away with something like the Varsity Club then, because they view that as so much more important? I don't think so. No, because I think entities like the Varsity Club are still very, very important. They do things for for the teams. Um, they do things for the overall sports programs. So, having you know a strong Varsity Club is still very important. But I think most schools, at least where I know administrators, they're realizing we got to kind of work in a way hand in hand with NIL entities. So it's, it's almost like, I, th- I think when NIL first, you know, started, the whispers started getting real loud. There were some schools who went, Oh my gosh, it's going to cut into our fundraising. You know, this is going to be Armageddon. What are we going to do? And now I think more people realize there's a little more, if not a true partnership, or at least kind of a symbiotic relationship that we need to exist together because we have the same common goals and, and if dollars are going to be sort of, you know, um, you know, associated with, with both NIL entities and with the varsity club types, I think people, have re- the smart people have realized not only is that okay, but that's a likely good path to giving your programs the best chance to succeed moving forward. Here's uh, Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com. And this is just your opinion here. Where would you think IU, the team that you cover, certainly most, would rank in terms of NIL right now? Where they are compared to others in the Big Ten, compared to others like them in major college basketball? Um. Okay, this is just based upon Yeah, can we rank everything, so hell, we might as well rank this too. I might as well. I right now, based upon what I've heard, I would put Indiana second in the Big Ten behind Illinois. Um, Illinois has got some very, very, very big hitters uh, in the Chicago area who have participated in NIL. Again, this is all based upon what I've been told. So I, I would put Indiana second in the Big Ten behind Illinois. Um, where they rank nationally, you know, for basketball, they're up there for basketball. Um, you know, Arkansas is way up there. Uh, Kansas is up there. Alabama's up there. Um, my understanding is Duke and Carolina are up there. But I, Indiana's probably for basketball, top 10, probably. Um, you know, I, th- I think Creighton is, is, is up there. I think St. John's is going to be up there. They, they've got a, one very, very, very big hitter who has come out, and I believe he's even commented publicly now. I don't know, but if he hasn't, I know he's commented privately that, that he's willing to put in significant money for St. John's to have a strong NIL program. Um, but right now, I'd put Indiana for basketball nationally, top 10, top 15, ballparking it. 
Yeah, Jeff Rabjohn's with us. So how has this offseason been for them with regard to the transfer portal, Jeff? Well, I think it's, it's been good on getting, obviously, um, you know, front court players uh, that have done a good job with that. Certainly, you know, landing Kel Ware, you know, the former five-star uh, player out of, out, of, out of high school. Um, he was a freshman last year at LS, at, uh, at Oregon. You know, Indiana landed him. That, that's certainly one of the better gets. Uh, in, in the portal, um, they had Anthony Walker for from uh, uh, a really athletic power forward from Miami, who's a role player last year, came off the bench. He gives them more athleticism and length, which which are two things that Woody definitely wants. You know, and IU added uh, Peyton Sparks from uh, uh, Ball State. You know, so he was a double figure scorer last year for Michael Lewis uh, at Ball State. So he he'll, he most likely projects to be you know a center off the bench, depth. You know, helping fill in maybe behind Kell where maybe playing some power forward minutes, maybe, um, you know, uh, something in for Malik Renault, but we'll see. Um, where Indiana has struggled a little bit is, is getting a big-time shooter. You know, they, they went after Nick Timberlake, who went to Kansas. Uh, they went after Chris Ledlam from Harvard, who went to Tennessee. They went after Dalton Connect, uh, who I think is going to be really good. The guy who just blew up last year at the Northern Colorado. Uh, he ended up going to Tennessee. Um, but they went after Cormac Ryan, um, transferred from Notre Dame, ended up going to North Carolina. So the, the one the one area where Indiana did struggle some was was getting some guards and wings who are, you know, more proven productive three point makers, wing scorers, scores from a guard position. Um, but the portal hasn't closed yet. So I know it's been open for a while, and I know some people are like, oh no, no, it hadn't happened yet. Um, and I understand sometimes, you know, fans get tense when they don't see what they want to see right away. But um, it's going to be interesting. The portal isn't closed. I'm still going to be intrigued to see what happens with some of these guys who have put their name in for the NBA draft. who are now starting to get feedback. Do they stay in the draft or do they decide, hmm, I'm going to jump in the portal and excuse me, you know, see what kind of NIL options are out there for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's where it stands right now for, for Indiana. They've done a really good job on the front line uh, with transfers have kind of struggled with guards and wings. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how they close out the, the portal class. They're, 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 the Indiana transfer portal class right now sits uh, 11th in the country. So, so or I'm sorry, it's, take that back, 20th. Uh, it's 20th overall um, with their three commits. So we'll see. We'll see. And obviously, you know, if IU were to land, you know, Five-star Kim Zimbako. Yeah, um, he's not a transfer portal guy. You know, he was just a—he's a, he's a high school kid. You know, decommitted from Duke, reopened. Right. Had everybody of note in the country came after that kid, and uh, Indiana's right there in the final two. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks dot com. Man, I, I I really appreciate you kind of straightening a lot of that out for us too. I will probably call upon you because this is way way above me. So I appreciate you dropping that in on us too, man. Very sure, much so. No problem. All right, Jeff. You have a fantastic weekend. We'll do it again soon. Sounds good, man. Talk to you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
Speaking of a blast, uh, that's what's going on in Terre Haute right now. The baseball Sycamores, 11th ranked, winners of, I believe, 21 of 22, riding a seven-game win streak, getting a win yesterday over Ball State, getting ready for a three-game set against Murray State in Missouri on the road after that, and then out to Missouri State to close out the Missouri Valley Conference campaign. Their head coach in what has been a fantastic season joins us now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Mitch Hannes is with us. Hey, Mitch, thank you for the time. How are you? Good, JMB. How you doing? I uh, am excited about what you guys are doing. And, and what makes it, to me, even more impressive is you guys got off to a, a rough start. What was you know, the major difference besides winning and losing at that point in time compared to the product that you're coaching up and seeing right now? Well, I, you know, that, that start was 2-8, and eight, I guess, right off the bat. We went down to Florida, and we came out of there 2-5. and five. And then we went to Kentucky and, and lost a good series. We lost all three games. I think it was 4-2-5-4-7-6. Yeah. And at the time, we don't have any idea what Kentucky's going to be. I mean, you just know you lost three more games. And so the, the, the next week, as a coach, you're thinking, man, what did I do wrong in the fall? What did we – were we hard enough on the guys? Do we have a good enough fall workout? So we're uh, – our staff's just going back and forth questioning everything we did all fall. Uh, and then it all flipped. I, I would like to say we did something miraculous as a coaching staff, but we just have a – we just have a really good group of tough, hard-nosed guys. Yeah, it's funny, too. And, and you questioned what you did in the fall and kind of questioned that at the moment, was there a moment when it did click? I mean, maybe a single moment where you thought, all right, this is not what we thought we were in this start. This is more like we thought we were, and maybe obviously what you have uh, morphed into right now. Was there a moment? Yeah, I, I think it was It was at Kentucky, but we weren't sure. Um, obviously, Kentucky was winning games early. And then, and then we started to win games, and two weeks after we went into Kentucky, Mississippi State went in there and got beat like 6-5-12-3-17-3. We said, okay, okay, maybe Kentucky was better than we thought. We're going to be okay. Uh, we just need to stay at it. And, and uh, that's, that was kind of the point that we, we played much better at Kentucky. We thought, okay, we can turn this thing around if we keep playing like this. Yeah, it is funny how that happens too, because that's that's probably one of the the low moments. But you just kind of saw, all right, you know, we're close here. This is tight, and uh, this this is not what it appears. And yeah, sometimes that defines a season, and that's kind of where you sit right now. I, there's no question. And Mitch Hannis, the head coach of Indiana State, joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You have a number of great stories. Where, where do you begin as far as production and helping lead this team to where it is right now? now some of those great stories that you're coaching up presently well i i think the 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 biggest story this year is our our pitching staff um matt jasek who was a guy that was on all the analytical boards last year top 10 in the country but didn't throw hard enough for for professional scouts at the time um very frustrated he didn't get drafted he got offered a free agent contract decided to come back um because they wanted to see if he could repeat the numbers, and he's he's repeated them, and more than repeated them. So he's he's been a big story. And I think just the emergence of all the guys behind him, guys that have been in our program for years. Um, we have Lane Miller, who's been in our program for four years, never thrown much, having a great year. Cameron Holy Cross from Appel, Indiana, yep. 
been in our program for four years, having a great year, has never really towed the rubber much until now. I just think the emergence of all of those guys uh, has really solidified our pitching staff, and that's probably been the difference in our club uh, I've had, to this point. I've had a couple of listeners, a friend of the show, bring up um, Cameron uh, as far as he has been so far. He has been dynamic for you. And then Lane Miller – Greg Rakestraw was over doing some of your games, and he told me yesterday the story of, of Lane Miller, which is pretty compelling in its own right because he was a grad assistant and he was pitching BP, and then you needed an arm. He's thrust into this now, and to date he's 5-0 and and having a great season. Well, I don't want to get in trouble with the NCAA. He wasn't a grad assistant. Okay. But, <laughs> but we – we have to declare a 40-man, Okay, and, and we had 41 guys, and I brought him in the office, and I said, Lane, I, I just don't know that we have a role for you right now. You're not throwing enough strikes, but we're going to put you on the roster, but we're going to make you a student coach right now. Okay. So you're going to help us with scouting reports, You're going and you're going to throw BP, and, and uh, he would throw BP for hours. And I'm not talking old man 46 BP, like 46 feet like I throw. I'm talking 60 feet, six inches for an hour straight. And he started throwing so many strikes that I told our staff, we're going to start him against Purdue in a midweek. I'm just going to throw him out there. And he proceeds to go eight innings and gives up a run, maybe two runs. And I think since that point in time, he's like 6-0 and for us. So unbelievable what's, what, how that has transpired. Um, what, what's, what was the difference? What's that come down to? I think it was a couple of things. I, I think he was a young man that, frankly, lacked confidence. And when we elevated him to kind of a role that he was on the level with us coaches, he his maturity kicked to another gear. I, I think that was the biggest thing for me that, that really kicked in. And, and you saw his confidence level just change. Um, and so from that point in time until now, he's still – um, he's still in the office every day, every day doing coaching things. Not a grad assistant, yeah. though, NCAA. Not a grad assistant. Okay. Not a grad. He's a graduate student, but he's not a grad assistant. No. He may have said that, and I may have screwed that up, to be honest. But he, he is not a grad assistant. So that, that's, a, that's a heck of a story right there. Now, is, is that commonplace in collegiate no. baseball to have a story like that? Because it doesn't sound that way to me. It's it's certainly not common in our – it's the first time it's happened in our program. Um, we had one other guy that we had as a freshman that threw – he would throw – he would be the scout team left-hand pitcher for the team we're about to play, and he would throw and throw and throw. And that was Jeremy Guerrero who morphed into an All-American for us. So I, I, I think it it's more of a willingness for a guy to accept the bottom rung at that point in time and at least accept that role. And many, many times that role grows from that point. Uh, and, and that's probably what Lane, you know, he accepted a role in the bottom rung. He didn't want to stop playing. He obviously didn't want cuts. He wanted to be on the 40-man. And he would do anything that he could to help us. And it's usually that type of unselfish person that plays a huge role on successful teams. 
Uh, Mitch Han is the head coach of Indiana State. The baseball team, 11th ranked right now, I believe, 7th in the RPI rankings, just having a great season, 21 of 22, 7 in a row. You mentioned Cameron Holocross out of LaPel. We have a number of listeners in and around LaPel, Indiana. A little bit about the type of season that kid's having. Well, he uh, he really um... – is a kid that young man that struggled with the zone early in his career. Um, he has an unbelievable breaking ball, but the problem was early on just the struggles to control it. Um, and we put him in against Miami of Florida when we were down there. We were having a tough time getting him out. It was, I think it was our third game of the season, maybe fourth. And he comes in and shuts them down for three, four innings. And it's, it's like a, a person transformed in that moment. Since that game, the confidence level and what he has given us has been unbelievable. I think he's at, at like a one four eight, something like that, ERA. He's been invaluable out of our pen. We've thrown him a lot. He's well into double digits in appearances. And and the majority of those appearances are high leverage. They're not when uh, games are out of hand. They're all in, in tight situations where we really we're really looking for a way out of a tough spot. It's uh, incredible the story going on right now. Mitch Hannis, the head coach of Indiana State, is with us. Um, at the plate, Mike Sears goes yard twice, I believe, against Ball State yesterday and is just having an incredible season for you guys right now. Yeah, Mike is – he's another – you know, you mentioned all of these guys. These guys that you're mentioning and all the people that we're talking about have been in our program for, for two, three, four years. Yeah. Um, we don't have any NIL hired guns that have come in here and helped this group. I mean, this has been our team. These have been the guys that we've lived and died with. Uh, and Mike was a guy that last year for us tore his ACL in the fourth or fifth game and had, I, I believe he had three home runs at that point early on, like three in the first five games. Uh, and so really battled to get back from that knee injury. It's actually ACL, MCL tear and worked extremely hard and has gotten back. But what has kind of gone unnoticed and untalked about, you know, when you have those and you, you get back within a year and then you have to deal with the weather that we, we have up here right. early in the season for him, trying to get that thing warm between innings and, and just move around has been really, really tough. So there's no secret. He hit two yesterday against ball state we finally had, I think it was the first day this year that I've coached in short sleeves. So I think weather, uh, obviously, hopefully as it warms up, he will continue to heat up even more. Mitch Hannes is with us. I, Rob, a listener, sent me this. He wanted me to ask you if you were more surprised that Mike hit two home runs yesterday or the fact that he actually had a walk. <laughs> well... <laughs> I think he got I, hit by a pitch, too, I, did he not, if if uh, the I, box score I've serves correct? Said, I actually turned to our pitching coach, Justin Hancock, yesterday during the game and said, you know, right now I don't know that I would throw Mike a strike. I'd throw him all balls and see if he'd swing at him. So, yeah, I was really surprised <laughs> that, that he did walk and even get hit. Oh, it's so good right there. I You bring up the weather, too. And um, when you get off to slow starts, sometimes it is, it is because of that, and that's just something – you can't do anything about. I love me some Terre Haute, don't get me wrong, but you know, sometimes in March and in April it's not conducive, you know, to being warm out there to play baseball. How, how do you prepare 
for that. You talk about, especially with Mike and dealing with an injury you're trying to come back from, how, how do you deal with that, the weather? And certainly now, hopefully, we've made the change for the good. But how do you prepare for that with your program? That, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I'm not one of those guys that uh, tries to be tough with someone else's body. I mean, I, 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 we try to be smart. We, you really can't go out and recreate some of those situations because I, I don't like throwing our guys, especially our pitchers, out in the weather part of the season. I know a lot of coaches like to get out and scrimmage, but I, I think it has a cumulative effect on an arm if you get them out there too early and you throw in that cold weather. So we do a lot indoors. Um, we, we hide from it as long as we can. I've gotten soft in my older age, and I, I don't like it either. So, I, it, again, I think it's a – there's a lot of fake toughness that I see, and it's what I really like about my group. They they don't make noise like they're tough, and they don't – they're not going to come off like they're the toughest guy in the room. They're just study guys who don't leak a lot of air. They just kind of sit there and take it and keep moving forward. And And they're truly – in my opinion, tough kids because of that. And so the weather is just one of those things, like all the other things that you deal with, yeah. you just deal with it. And, and so do, I don't like playing Michigan schools in the cold weather. Don't like playing Minnesota schools in the cold weather. So there are, people have it a lot worse than us. Yeah, it's just, uh, it just seems like in the, the South, you get such more much more of a running start in baseball because of uh, the weather's a little bit more conducive. Mitch Hannon is the head coach of Indiana State with us. You'll have to help me out. What is the, the criteria of hosting a baseball regional, and where are you with that possibility, your team, with that in mind? Well, I'm going to go back to the weather just one moment for you. Okay. Uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Because I missed a really key point, and okay. it is that so many of these young players right now are being evaluated based on the numbers they put up in a season. Yeah, and it, it's truly unfair to the to our people in the Midwest because it's a lot tougher to put up numbers here early in the year than it is down in those southern programs for sure. So the fact that Mike Sears has 15 home runs in our climate, who knows how many he would have in Florida? No, so that, I, that's a good I, point. I, I, yeah. And I think, and I've talked to a few pro scouts about that, and I think that's something that they're talking about actually looking into a little bit more. But in terms of hosting, I mean, obviously there are going to be some guys that in a room and go through everybody's schedule. And if you are in the top 16 in the RPI, if you can finish there and they they can't poke enough holes in your schedule, um, and I like to – say all the time to me scheduling is about intent you don't know two years out if you're going to get somebody that has a great year as well sometimes it's just luck of the draw but if you're scheduling sec teams acc teams you're scheduling big 10 teams you're scheduling big 12 whatever it might be i i just feel like it becomes harder for them to poke holes in your schedule because our conference schedule is our conference schedule we can't we can't change that but in terms of non-conference i think right now our strength of schedule non-conference is number two in the country. And I, I think that shows as much intent of us going out and scheduling a hard non-conference. So if we land in that top 16, I I feel like it would be more than fair for Terre Haute to host a regional. I, this is not an oh, woe is me closing question here, but um, w- would this group try to poke – more holes into your schedule and/or resume than they might others in in baseball. 
Is that something you have to deal with too? Does that make sense the way I framed that? Yeah. No, it, it makes sense. I, I I mean, obviously, absolutely, because it, it, as they poke holes, the the strength of your conference is going to come into play. Absolutely, and I then you get into the entire conversation we have in every sport, right? Especially football. It was the SEC as good as we thought. Was the Big Ten as good as we thought? Was it? I mean, there's still a lot of human element that's going to go into this, and and then on the backside of it, I'm I want to be really cautious because. Most people that said and bang the drum and, and scream that they deserve it are the teams that go out quick. So some of this, too, is, uh, hey, uh, whatever happens, happens. We'll go. We'll hopefully get in a tournament. We'll hopefully get to go somewhere and prove ourselves. That's Terre Haute. That would be great. If that's Alaska, hey, let's go. Love it. Mitch Hanna's right there, the head coach of the Sycamores, 11th presently, ranking-wise, 7th in RPI. And they get a set coming up with Murray State, then uh, Missouri on your way out to Springfield, Missouri, to close out the Missouri Valley portion of the season at uh, Missouri State. Just an incredible run. And Mitch Hanna's the head coach of the Sycamores on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. And nothing but the best. And if you don't mind, I'm going to get back with you uh, before the tail end of the season, and especially when you find out you know, what's up. Again, I'll knock on wood here a little bit for you, um, postseason-wise, and, and we'll chat this up again, man. It's been great, and I'm incredibly, as a Sycamore grad, and I know a lot of others in this market, too, are also uh, Indiana State Sycamore grads. Very proud of what you guys have accomplished so far. Keep it going. I- I appreciate that. Appreciate it very much. Mitch, thank you. Hey, thank you, JMV. I appreciate it, buddy.